Hello, I'm Ben O'Neill, MLEX's news editor in our London bureau. If you're familiar with MLEX's podcasts, thanks for joining us again. And if this is your first time, a very warm welcome. Today we're talking about Brexit's impact on data flows. And I'm joined by Vesla Gladicheva, our senior telecoms media and IT correspondent. Hello. And by Matthew Holhouse, our senior Brexit correspondent. Hello. With all our lives and the activities of businesses across the board increasingly dependent on the digital world, data and information flows have never been so important. Now, much of the preparation work for the UK's withdrawal from the EU has involved trying to ensure that the withdrawal agreement seamlessly maintains the data flows that companies rely on and that it preserves the data privacy regime pioneered by the EU. As we speak today, though, Brexit is still up in the air and a no-deal scenario looms large. And should that come to pass, the consequences for data flows and for privacy could be dire. Vesla, could you kick us off just by explaining what the worries are here? Of course, as you just mentioned, uh, data flows uh, have become increasingly important uh, for companies. In the context of Brexit, of course, we mean companies on both sides of the English uh, Channel. And we're talking about all sorts of uh, data, payslips, uh, photo al- albums uh, uploaded on cloud services, medical records. Um, and the risk for company lies in the fact that when the UK finally leaves the EU, uh, they will face a legal vacuum for data transfers. And in the case of um, a no-deal Brexit uh, and a no-transitional period in place, they will have to think uh, about alternative methods to, to, to keep those data flows going. Um, companies' preferred way uh, to fill that legal void is a so-called UK-EU adequacy certification Uh, from the European Commission uh, that would allow uh, data to to keep flowing freely um, from the EU to the UK. Uh, But it's clear now that will take several years to negotiate. Um, So so it would mean companies uh, shifting data from uh, EU countries, um, Iceland, Norway and Liechtenstein, um, to the the UK uh, will need to implement extra safeguards to protect that information. So this is a, a, in the EU's GIF, this is entirely an, an adequacy certification is entirely something that the EU bestows. Yes, absolutely. It's something that the European Commission negotiates uh, on behalf of uh, um, EU governments. Um, and that's the preferred path for, for companies. Okay. So what, what have companies been advised to do in this case? So for months now, um, privacy regulators across the EU and lawyers have been uh, advising businesses to adopt um, legal mechanisms uh, for for, for transferring um, data to comply with the GDPR. And there's various ways to do that, including binding corporate rules uh, for intergroup data transfers, codes of conduct and certification uh, mechanisms. Um, the most recommended tool um, are boilerplate legal contracts for data transfers uh, approved by the uh, European Commission. 
and these contracts are seen as the easiest and quickest way to to deal with the situation but they are not seen by everyone as um, as the easiest way out the real risk lies with uh, complaints from individuals that regulators will need to investigate and in the end regulators have promised that they will be reasonable um, in any case that this is a really unclear political situations that companies are facing we're seeing a situation here that's that's an awful lot more complicated than the status quo but in, in the final analysis, how real do you think the risk of uh, regulatory action from EU watchdogs really is? So privacy regulators uh, in the EU have been uh, loud and clear uh, that they will not grant, uh, grant companies uh, a grace period to allow them to start or uh, com- complete their preparations um, for, for this scenario. They say uh, companies have had months now with guidance to uh, really work uh, this problem out but at the same time regulators are really unlikely to initiate their own investigations into potential breaches of the GDPR resulting from the no deal Brexit scenario. Um, The risk really lies with complaints um, uh, from individuals uh, that regulators will need to investigate. Um, in the end, regulators are also promising to be reasonable and they acknowledge the fact that this uh, is a really unclear political situation companies um, are facing. Okay, you, you mentioned earlier one recommendation for companies are these standard contractual clauses that they should uh, generate. Uh, isn't there a, a problem with those, though? Have they been challenged before in the in, in the EU courts? Isn't that right? That's correct. Uh, it's a challenge originally uh, launched by privacy activist Max Schrems um, in Ireland against Facebook. So that case was referred to the EU's lower court, general court, uh, in Luxembourg um, almost a year ago. The court is still considering uh, the case, uh, but the expectation is that a hearing will take place later this year. And really the worst case scenario for, for companies um, would be uh, if, if the court decides to invalidate these model clauses um, because they don't sufficiently protect uh, individuals' personal data in the case of um, national security uh, agencies' access to, to their data. That would be really a doomsday scenario. I see. And so we're, we're looking at... Uh some movement on this, but not until much later this year. Yes, that's that's the case, and and there and then uh, we'll have a completely different story because uh, the European Commission would would then need to come up with with, with uh, a new plan, uh, new methods uh, for data transfers. Um, but yet, you know, th- there will be significant regulatory uncertainty. Well, thank you very much, Vesla. I'd like to bring you in here, Matthew. We talked just now about. Um, data adequacy certifications, data adequacy agreements. Can I follow that up with you in a a bit more detail? What's the state of play about this? So um, we spent some time looking at the the data adequacy agreements of of the kind that the UK uh, wants. Um, And so a lot of the the focus has been on this idea of of repairing the link between between the UK and the EU, replacing the, the rights over data transfers that come from membership with with an adequacy decision that's given to a third country. But the, the, the type of decision the UK wants, the EU has, has done previously uh, for 13 other countries, which kind of creates a, a pool of data by connecting the data flows in the EU with uh, being able to send Europeans' data to the US, to Japan, uh, Canada, 
um, New Zealand, uh, Switzerland, uh, amongst, amongst other states. And so my question was, um, what happens to those in a no-deal scenario? Because the UK, as well as having to focus on rebuilding its data ties with the EU, has to look at all these other jurisdictions that it has links with by virtue of its, of its EU membership and what happens there. Okay, so a no-deal scenario would cause great consternation. There would be a lot of damage done. That's right. I mean, these, these are a similar thing to, to people who have been looking at with the EU's trade agreements that drop away in a no-deal scenario. Similarly, in a no-deal, these adequacy decisions also drop away and they have to be replaced. What's happening in that context to replace or repair that, uh, that, that damage that would, that would happen? So, so it's been quite interesting. We, we know that the EU has been taking a pretty firm line with the UK and saying there'll be no adequacy agreement in a no-deal scenario. You'll have to wait your turn and, and get it in place. But other regulators seem to be much more uh, flexible or willing to, willing to do things right now um, so that that stopgap doesn't take place in terms of their UK data flows. Um, so the UK has unilaterally said we're going to replace in UK law all the EU's adequacy agreements so that data can go from the UK to these countries. So, so at a stroke, this is through secondary legislation that they're simply replicated in domestic law. In terms of what the other parties are doing, so what Canada, Japan, Switzerland are doing to allow their citizens' data to come to the UK, we've seen an effort to basically uh, repair the damage, as, as it were. So some countries don't need to do anything because they don't operate a sort of a system of whitelisting and blacklisting where they say this country is safe and this country is unsafe. They, they structure their privacy laws in such a way whereby um, they don't distinguish between different countries because the, the onus to, to keep data safe is, is on individual countries. So that, that's the case for uh, places like uh, Canada and New Zealand, for example. Others, um, so Japan, Argentina, uh, the US and Guernsey, where they do have to take action, have been going through their legislation and have been saying uh, that you know, they, they see the UK as equivalent to the EU because it's an EU member state at the moment. So they've been writing in that data transfers can continue to the UK in a, in a no-deal uh, scenario. Uh, the only state that we came across where there was a bit of a question mark about action not potentially being in place uh, was Israel. But uh, as we understand it, is Israel is, is keen to make sure that they have something in place in time for a no-deal. Okay, well, this is a the sort of state-to-state -state picture. Mm -hmm. But if we drill down a bit, where does this actually leave companies? What is there anything they should be doing? What's the state of play for them? So it it doesn't uh, it doesn't really make the issue go away. I mean, it's an interesting diplomatic picture. If you are sending data solely from the UK to New Zealand or the UK to Japan and Japan to the UK, then this maintains the status quo. But the problem is that because you're, you're, you will be cutting out the EU from that picture, if you're doing something that involves sending data from the EU to the UK to be processed and then sent on to Japan, that process has been disrupted because there won't be an EU adequacy decision in place. So it really depends on what, what companies are doing. Uh, and and it, even though we've made an exercise of saying, OK, what, what, what are the regulators doing here? Actually, clearly, it's a big hole missing in, in the picture there. So we've, kind of, we've got the EU as the elephant in the room here. Yes. All, well, always at the centre, in fact. Yes, yes. There's got to be a lot of long-term risk here for companies, presumably. Can, can you just elaborate on that a bit? Yes. So, so one of the interesting things that also came out from the piece is that these, these adequacy decisions tend to be interlinked. 
and and the EU basically sets the standards because because when the EU grants an adequacy decision, one of the things they look for is the risk of onward transfer. So if you are sending data from the EU to Japan, the European Commission wants to be confident that that data isn't then going to be sent on from Japan to uh, China or Afghanistan or somewhere where they think actually it won't be looked after. So it tends to be a fairly closed pool. The, the, you know, Japan won't grant or, or Switzerland doesn't grant adequacy to a regime which the EU itself uh, determines to be unsafe. Now, that could get quite problematic for the UK. Uh, and, it, and it's got Guernsey and Jersey, these um, Channel Islands, quite worried in particular, because they're saying, what if they're in a scenario where they've said, OK, the UK is adequate from the point of view of Jersey's data law, but the European Commission comes along in, in two years' time and says, sorry, actually, the UK's failed the test. And then the European Commission is saying we're quite worried that EU citizens' data is getting sent to Jersey and then is being sent onto the UK and being put at risk. And so there is a danger that some states are going to be caught in a bit of a tug of war between, between the UK and the EU. Perhaps they're going to be forced to cancel the adequacy that they've granted to the UK in order to protect their adequacy status with the EU. So really what we see in this is, is the, the importance of the UK getting the adequacy decision with the EU to maintain that. And, and the, the sort of the, the incredible influence and power that the EU has in, in setting the bar for other people to follow. Well, this is something that's, that's been seen in a number of different ways through Brexit. All roads lead back to the EU. The power seems to be in, in their hands. I think that's a great place to leave it for today. I just want to say thank you very much to both of you, Vesla and Matthew. And thank you for bringing us up to date on this, uh, well, it's an unfolding issue and there'll be a lot more to come soon. And watch this space as the story unfolds, as MLEX will be bringing you the insight and analysis that you expect to make sense of it. And to read our coverage, do head over to mlexmarketinsight.com and click on our Insight Center and then Editor's Picks. You can also find MLEX's full range of podcasts so far in our Insight Center. On behalf of everyone here at MLEX's London Bureau, thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you soon for another MLEX podcast. Mm-hmm.